So hello everyone and welcome all of you to Nikki Lyle Creative Presents of Industry Leaders where today I'm joined by Stuart Goff who's an associate partner at Pentagram. Welcome Stuart. Thank you very much. No thanks for having me. Um, no it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, so yeah my name is Stuart Goff. I'm an associate partner at Pentagram. Um, before that I was actually a, a bit of a freelancer going around. I've worked at nearly 20 different studios now in and around London. Um, but yeah, I've been at Pentagram now for four and a half years. Uh, the majority of that has been with Marina Willer's team. Um, but I did actually join uh, with Jodie and Luke joining as partners. So I was their sort of first freelance senior designer with um, two interns. And then since then, they sort of passed me on to Dominic Lipper, uh, Daniel Vile, Angus Highlands, and um, eventually Marina as well. So, um, so yeah, it's been a, a bit of an interesting journey to have the experience of going around Pentagram, experiencing all the different teams in London. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. That's one of the things I noticed about you actually, Stuart, is that you started off your career freelancing around a lot, actually, all different agencies. Was that something that um, you set out to do on purpose or is it just something that naturally happened? Um, I'd love to say it was on purpose, but it wasn't. It was um, slightly forced, forced hand, as it were. Um, I was a graduate from Bath and moved to London to um, basically take an internship in Soho. Um, my friend very, very, very kindly offered her bedroom floor for a few months, I think, actually. Um, so I was sharing the floor with a, a kitten, basically, who kept scratching me in the middle of the night. Um, but that that stayed for a little bit of time. Um, and there was potential promise to stay on, but it didn't happen. So I was sort of left in this weird limbo, um, and then tried to fathom out how to how to make it work. Because um, by that time I'd moved out, I'd started paying rent on a place. Um, I was running out of funds, so ended up selling a lot of possessions my car which i absolutely loved at the time um and taking up shifts in bars as well in the local area but um i was quite lucky a friend of mine referred me for another internship that was paid so it meant that i didn't have to carry on with any of the bar jobs um but i just kept doing internship with an internship um but i realized that wasn't viable and it was going to get to a point where um people might see me as unemployable that fear i had that anxiety of okay, why are people not hiring this person? Why are they just keeping on as an intern? Um, that sort of, that was a, an irrational fear from my side, but it was a bit of an anxiety thing. Um, so the next place that I was sort of applying to or trying to reach out to, I just went, I'm a junior freelancer. Um, here's my day rate. And they went, sure, come on in. Um, so I was really, 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 really fortunate with that. I sort of fucked up the confidence to go forward and, um, just ask for a position that was better paid than an internship. So, and then it speed rolled from there. I just kept getting either referred or applying for things or trying to do my own thing, uh, being passed around and just trying to weigh up all of the scenarios of, well, how will this help? How will this position help me progress? If I want to go here, do I go here? Um, and trying to see it in a very linear way of that. But it wasn't, it wasn't a conscious decision. I'd love to say, oh yeah, I was really, shit hot talented and everyone wanted a piece of me but it definitely wasn't that it was a, a means to the end and basically i needed i needed funds so i needed to just pluck up the courage to ask to be a freelancer yeah that's so common and, and that's one of the things that 
every like industry leader such as yourself has said that in the beginning it is hard work it's kind of hustling it's like you finish your degree and you think oh brilliant that's over I'm gonna land a job and it's like no 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 hang on a minute guys you're gonna have to gather up some momentum now to get a job and there will be um sometimes it takes months six months eight months but it's I think as long as you manage people's expectations is what it's like to kind of get into the industry and then people can um, can get through it a bit better actually and um, having someone such as yourself share your story and how that happened and look at where you're at now as well so that's good to see. Um, at what point in your life did you decide that you wanted to become a graphic designer or a creative? Um, I don't think there was a, a, a... I don't know, a, a moment in time where you go, oh yeah, I definitely want to be a, um, a designer. I mean, when I was at school doing design and technology, I was, it was just natural for me and I was just good. My teachers just said, oh yeah, well done. And it's like, okay, I'm putting in maybe a lot of effort, but it's becoming quite easy for me to do, especially in comparison to any other subject that I was doing. I was keen in art as well, I liked photography. Um, I was that little kid playing with little toy models in my spare time and my mum walking in and smelling the place of this like poly cement thinking I'm getting high on glue in the corner. I'm just making models all the time. Um, but I lived um, when I was a kid in the Peak District. We were so close to Orton Towers and I still remember it's like the, the real thing that excited me about going to Orton Towers was getting the free map. I realised that was a, a very bizarre thing in hindsight of just seeing this illustration of this this map to try and maneuver around this magical world as a kid was really appealing and I think that's something that has really like stuck with me I'm just still really fascinated when I see a map anywhere around and seeing someone else's interpretation of doing something that is unanimous across the world as it were. Mm. Yeah and so what's it like working in uh, Marina Willis team? That's good um we're a colourful bunch, even though I dress in black pretty much all the time. Uh, Marina's Brazilian spirit definitely comes into the work that we do. Her attitude towards everything is really positive, which is such a, a really interesting thing to take from studio to studio, just hearing and having a very positive creative director. Um, so yeah, there's, at the moment we're a very small team. We've got Marina who's heading it, she's the partner. I'm an associate along with um, Hamlet, who's from Hong Kong. Uh, and then we've got Kleber and Marta. Kleber's Brazilian, Marta's Portuguese, um, well, Portuguese, British. So we're a mix in terms of the creative. Um, we also have Kate, who's the only other British, officially British person, who's the project account manager in our team as well. But um, we do fluctuate with freelancers or interns as well. So the size grows and shrinks down, but that's pretty much the core team. And would you say that it's the diversity of the team that enriches the creative work? Oh, definitely. That mixed with um, the environment that we're in at Pentagram. Um, I don't know how many people are aware of the setup of Pentagram, but um, our studio in London is in Notting Hill. Um, and downstairs is pretty much meeting rooms. It's the front of house staff, it's the archive, it's the canteen. Um, but upstairs is virtually, apart from the accounts at the front of the building, it's all open plan with every other team in London. Um, so every desk is basically a different team. So you go from one desk to another desk, everyone's seeing everyone's work, everyone's seeing all the other screens. Um, so that level of openness in our, in our work, it's either on the screen or on the wall, if there is a wall to find. Um, it is a 
it it feels like it is an educational institution as it were so there is no um studio music being played because there's too many people to actually pick a, a song that everyone likes and everyone's got so many different tastes and that's that's why it's a good thing we're we're trying to be as um coming from lots of different backgrounds as possible we still need to do more in terms of that but um what we are trying to do is make sure that we are aware of everything everyone else's work so that we can input where and needs be i suppose um so if someone's walking past on the way to lunch and they see something on your screen and go oh have you seen this it's it's really helpful in that term of being very open about your work yeah and would you say that you have a distinct design style or do you like to keep it quite broad i think uh potentially team willow might have a design style um we do like positivity color is definitely a pinpoint of some of our work that we do um, it's not everything. I wouldn't say that we always do one thing or something else. Um, but me personally, it's, it's more a case of making things relevant towards a strategy and making sure it's relevant, therefore, for the client. So in terms of a style, I would really love to say that it is completely controlled by the type of client that we're working with um, and not by our own personal, um, I suppose, egos coming into it, as it were. Yeah. And, and where do you go to for, for inspiration? Um, I mean, I would always go back to the client in the sense of finding what it is about the client that really resonates well in terms of the creative output. What we're trying to do is always to sync with the strategy and we are the ones sometimes doing the strategy as well. Um, Luckily, the backgrounds that we've had, Marina was created director before, at Wolf Rowland before joining Pentagram. I was at Moving Brands, which is very strategy-led um, studio as well. So the mindset that we have in terms of the appreciation for strategy, and when I say strategy, it's just, it is trying to really discover who the client is and then use that to, as a basis for all of the creative output that we're doing. Um, so yeah, always going back to the client. I mean, you can always find something that's there that they are completely aware of, but then they're maybe not communicating it as prevalently as they should be. Um, so that's something that we always go to. Um, it's tricky though, because a lot of people say, oh yeah, go for a walk or read a book or some blogs or something like that. I, I, it's hard to push those and find inspiration from them. I mean, it's great to clear your head, have an empty mind so that you can um, really think about something. I mean, that could be a walk or ride a bike or just have a bit of headspace. I mean, usually it happens for me when I'm trying to go to sleep, my head won't turn off. So it's, um, it's a time that I have a bit of quiet. So I'm thinking things through, but it means that I don't really uh, actually get some sleep. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, everything that's online, everything that's in a book, it's already been done, it's been published as it were, uh, and therefore it's, you're trying to implement, if you see something, are you therefore implementing a style that you've seen on, some, on your client? I'd li really like to say that we do it the other way around. So the client is who we're doing the work for, and therefore all the ideas should be coming from who they are anyway. We, we shouldn't be trying to project them on the outside world as something that they're not. Yeah, that's so interesting, actually, because I've asked that question a lot. And a lot of creators will say things like, 
like you just said to do it, I'll go for a walk or there's a podcast series that I like to listen to or I'll pick up some books and I'll start going through those and um, the fact that you said you just focus on the client and really um, getting underneath the skin of them who they're about and pushing it from the client outwards rather than trying to bring external influence in and mold the client into potentially as you say who or what they're not um, okay so which projects are you particularly proud of Oh, there's a few. Um, I would say the work that we've done, especially for Battersea, Dogs and Cats, um, Blood Cancer UK that's just been sort of released just before um, this whole <laughs> this whole storm of God knows what has um, impacted us in the world. Um, but they're, they're all projects that we know that they're doing good in the world. Um, that's what I feel really proud about and it's not a case of the style or the substance the aesthetics of what we're producing at the end it's who we're doing it for um, that becomes a real pinpoint of where I feel very proud for being able to work with these types of people um, but no it's, it's it's they're great at what they do and they do it for a really good cause and they've got some amazingly talented people behind them as well so just being having the opportunity to be in the same room as these people um, is just fantastic. I mean, it's an opportunity that you don't really get with many other um, disciplines in the world to have these uh, dialogues and these communications with these such a different array of different people. Because mm, you've designed a lot for the charity sector as well, and also like was it Blood Cancer UK, etc. What's the difference like working with those kind of clients? Um, I suppose there's a lot. There's a, I suppose, a theme with um, clients at the moment of not wanting to take risks. And with that, the decision, the risk of taking a decision is also prevalent in a lot of the work that we do. And I would say that that's more so a case with something like a charity. Um, they have to, they're always um, helped with funders and reassuring them that they are spending the money wisely and making sure that they are getting the most out of it they have to answer to a lot of people and a lot of people are watching them um and you're always going to get a headline from some shit newspaper like the daily mail especially if it's going public about critiquing the design and whether it was worth it and especially if they find out the cost of what it took but then you think of all the legwork and how how that has now helped them progress further and further to actually achieve and raise more and do more, get more awareness and help more. Um, they don't see the balance of that, um, which is sometimes a big shame, but everyone loves a, a juicy headline. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. They're, they are harder, I would say, to work with because um, they need reassurance. So um, we just need to make sure that everything we're doing for them goes all the way back to the strategy is true to who they are, that something they can do, what they can deliver. I mean, the, the, I suppose the design specifics of that and just making sure that it's whatever we're producing is capable for the, their team to take on, whether that's an in-house team or whether they um, farm that out to other studios and making sure that they have the capabilities to make sure that that brand can exist further down the line than just the launch of when when we're passing over all the all the final files yeah definitely and that's the thing with charity branding is um when people are looking at who they're going to donate to they, they do look at the charity and and it is about 
the face of it as well and that is quite important like the backstories to if you're going to donate to them and um and right. getting that fine balance um but so you led the creative team for some like really exciting projects for the design museum it was like their two biggest shows yeah we sort of um i joined marina's team when they were sort of um in the crux of doing the ferrari under the skin show um part of that was that we had to do a mini show in marinello for ferrari in their in their personal museum so um I think it was my first, might have been my first week or weekend. Um, Marina asked if I could fly out to Italy on, on a Sunday night and then meet with the meet with the directors out there um, on Monday morning for about 24 hours and then come back to try and uh, help them implement this show that the team had designed. So, yeah, I was going out there. It was a bit of a um, <laughs> bit of a shock to the system getting um, the passionate um verbal of i suppose how to put this politely opinions of the italians as it were um straight in my face which was uh, uh an interesting baptism for fire um but no that was it was really good and it helped me establish a good relationship with the team out there and then make sure that what we were producing out in london was going to be um, it was a bit of a learning curve, I suppose. They wanted implementation out in Marinello and then bring it back to London. So I was with the project all the way through. So yeah, a project like that is um, all the spatial designs. We were working with um, an architect that the design museum chose um, and we were also doing the marketing for that whole thing. Um, it ended up being um, a lot of work, um, a hell of a lot of work, but um, it was a successful show. Um, it was at the time their most successful show and we were really really happy with how it turned out in the end um curators were very happy with it as well um and then it actually led on to getting asked if we would like to do the stanley kubrick exhibition as well um which we were very fortunate to actually take that all the way through from the marketing the graphic design and the spatial design so um we worked with um, Will Russell, who's one of the ex-partners of Pentagram, to assist us in the architectural drawings. Um, but yeah, we sort of saw that one all the way through for everything. Um, again, another big feat of trying to comprehend all of the graphics that you need for a show like that when there's so many objects in there. I mean, just to put it in perspective, we had quite a few hundred objects and each one of those objects needs information to give it context. Uh, but then we've got too many objects for the walls. Uh, so how do you group them together? And then how do you put captions with those when you've got no wall space left? Um, but also all of the requirements from a, a costume that you, for insurance purposes, you need a one meter perimeter around it. So you're trying to think of good solutions that you can still have the kind of experience that is um, wanted or desired by the curators and then put it into actual reality in terms of the design the physical um space as well but there's so many other different considerations in it that from um we try to go from a real accessible sort of approach to it um so even the turning circles of wheelchairs trying to get access to the cabinets to make sure that when you're approaching a case that everything has got a slight tilt to it. It's illuminated in the right way. We're not getting glare from the lights above. So it's working with the lighting designers as well. Um, and then making sure that everything in there is easy to read, distances, sight lines, everything. Um, it's, it's, it's just 
a mammoth job and it takes months and months. I mean, from, it can take about 12 months. I mean, six months, probably full time on it. Um, especially the last three months are very much hands-on. So you've got to be, you've got to know every single object. You've got to know, you've got to have meetings with curators, um, constantly to just check in to say, right, what's going in, what's going out. Uh, you've got an object list with all of these different requirements, as I mentioned before with the insurance, uh, you you need to know how they need to be mounted. What's the requirements of that as well? Um, there's so much with it. It's just, I could probably speak for hours and hours. I mean, the, the, a meeting with the curators, for example, it was myself, Will, the architect, and one of the curators. We sat down for a four hour meeting and we didn't even get through half of the objects. So, um, and it, it's just a very time absorbing sort of uh, process that you have to go through. So, um, but it's really good fun. I really love it. I, I say to people, it's, um, it's a bit like Alice in Wonderland. You're, you're walking into the, a book that you've created. Um, and that those decisions are always determined and thought around how best you can communicate a narrative going through the space. Um, so what we did actually on the whole spatial thing as uh, Stanley Kubrick, we, we had the whole premise of walking behind, going behind the screen. So the entrance was this idea of the one point perspective that Stanley Kubrick was, I suppose, one of the things that he was well known for was this one point perspective. It's very straight on, but then you're constantly, there's a slow move forward in the camera. And um, so we created a custom cut of all of his films, put them together on this, um, this tunneled screen as you enter into the exhibition and you've got to physically go behind the screen to enter the exhibition. Then from there, it was everything behind the scenes. So it was the camera's technology, all of the back of house. It was like, so interesting just discovering about all of these things. Um, he didn't even do a film, but it was all going to be based on Napoleon, which, um, and it was back in the day when you didn't have things like Wikipedia. So what he had was all these little cards, paper cards that he actually <laughs> managed to find out the life of Napoleon and documented every single day of Napoleon's life on one of these cards of where he was, what he was doing. And it's just filled up with these cases and these cabinets of cards that he could reference to, to create a narrative. He had the drawings there as well. He teamed up with some iconic designers, Sol Bass for one. Um, so all of these amazing things, these triumphs of all of these different people coming together, it was just incredible. It's like the idea of, um, it was the Steadicam that was um, so brought forward for um, things like on The Shining. It was That was a, a revelation. I mean, we can buy it now and all the influencers are out there now using their own version of it. But he was one of the, the first people to use it in a feature film. Um, it's so much so that you can see it in The Shining Maze when they're going through and that idea of disorientation as well. But that was something that we tried to actually reflect in the show. So the physical path that we went through we gave it a very uh, linear linear route. We wanted a very open thing. There was different variations of the spatial idea that we wanted, but this sort of snaking idea as you go through the show was the whole idea behind that was turning a corner and being surprised by the next thing that you see, but also to turn you around in so many different directions that you don't know which way you are. So if you don't know which way you are, you're in this idea of this maze, so therefore you can concentrate on what it is in front of you. So yeah, the feedback we got was really positive from the museum. Loads of people were spending probably a bit too much time in there because there were so many objects. 
um, but that's not a bad bit of feedback. Um, but yeah, that ended up being their, their now most successful show. So very proud to work on it. Um, very, very proud. It was just one of those icons that you, you just can't ever say no to an opportunity like that. Yeah, definitely. I'm just absolutely gutted that I missed that exhibition because I really wanted to go to it. And now you've explained it to me. I'm like, damn it, I wish I'd gone. But I've, yeah. I've worked with loads of agencies that cover like experiential branding and spatial. And I just love looking through those like portfolios. And as you say, it's um, you're inviting in someone into a space and an environment and especially someone like Stanley Kubrick and his whole style and aesthetic and being able to, I could imagine that being a really fun project to work on yeah um have you made any creative mistakes i mean most people have hey but what what's some that really stand out to you that were like big mistakes um a comical mistake that was a big mistake um it was actually at stanley kubrick um we were giving a presentation in front of the curators um one of which is the the then director co-director of the design museum day and sadiq and uh we're all there the whole committee basically the the conference room was squeezing at the brim i was just presenting the work and going through and each section was sort of one section is sort of this uh, accumulation of some of the ideas on war so you've got passive glory you've got spartacus you've got full metal jacket and then it goes around to things like the lisa and clock that were very controversial and then it ended up going to the next one which was eyes wide shut um and i was just going to this one and then it's every single one on the presentation was like big title saying what the thing was and then going into the aspect of it. So what would the colors be? What would the imagery be? How would we arrange all of the walls? What would the space feel like? And uh, the big title page there, it said eyes wide shit. And I just had that in front of everyone. And I was just like, what? So yeah, it's sort of, luckily it sort of gave a very human side of, uh, of everyone. Everyone laughed and uh, <laughs> took the Michael out of me. So. It was fine. It was it was a revelation for people to go. Yeah, everyone's still a bit human, and we're here to do the design, not do the copywriting or the proofreading. So, <clears throat> so what did someone do that on purpose, or was it just a mistake? Or no, that was my mistake. I mean, it was you just written it by accident. I just completely. I just it's a joke or something. No, no, no. Fraudulent slip. It was like typing out uh, eyes wide shit rather than eyes wide shut. I mean, yeah, you can't really get too much worse. I mean. I've got a number of Dan's books on um, on my on my bookcase, and I'm just thinking, it's like I can't believe of all the people. It's like one person you don't probably shouldn't be doing something like that in front of. But um, but no, it didn't tarnish any relationship. I mean, it just showed a bit more of the human side. So I took yeah. full credit for the mistake. Didn't blame it on any anyone else. Do you know one of the main things I've realised out because I I love asking this question in the series, and it's always typos. Like somebody was working on like a festival and they'd printed sugar babes t-shirts, but they didn't realize that you didn't spell sugar babes, you know, like you took out the R or, and so they'd printed like thousands upon thousands of, uh, yeah, sugar babes typo t-shirts. Yeah, it's That's not always where designers are caught out is, is yeah. there it's, as well anything else. Yeah. It's the one time where, um, doing, being a freelancer and doing your own clients, you realize, oh yes, this is why you get insurance. So uh, yeah. definitely, especially when you've got something like a book run. I mean, if you're if you're a freelancer and doing a book run, I would definitely get insurance, especially if you're overlooking the print. 
So um, yeah, you wouldn't want eyes wide shit, would you? Printed nah, on the yeah. Uh... Nah, luckily, it was a digitalization and nothing more. So um, yeah, lucky in that sense. Um, so, what advice would you give to any juniors that might be watching this about like getting into the industry? I know that for you personally, there's lots of like freelancing and things like that to start with. Is there any? And also, times are a bit different at the moment. So, I don't know if you give specific advice that applies to the here and now with the mm, pandemic. I, yeah, I have full sympathy for anyone graduating this year. I mean, it's, it's a horrible time. Um, I just want to make sure that they're not like left. They don't feel like they're isolated or left alone. It's like everyone is, is going through this and trying to figure it out the time being. But, um, but what I would say is like what I've seen even before lockdown was the, I suppose, the ones that we really stand out for us are those that are um, enthusiastic about what it is that they're doing. Um, I can, I can, yeah, you probably need a good portfolio to get through the door of Pentagram to have an interview. Um, I would say, yes, you need that because I'm the one that lets you through the door usually. <laughs> um, but you're already through the door. We already know that you've got potential in your skill set. So it's more a case of your communication, your attitudes, um, how enthusiastic are you about it? Um, because that enthusiasm can roll into teaching you skills that you might not have at the time being. Um, that enthusiasm can roll into lots of other things as well. It's just being aware of the, the situation that you're in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not an easy time. There's no denying it, but um, everyone's sort of pulling through at the time being. In terms of, yeah, junior at this time, it's, it's not easy, but I mean, people are offering at the time being. They're still being aware. It's good to just try and reach out. Um, there's no harm in reaching out and just finding out who it is that you're reaching out about. I mean, Pentagram's a bit of an anomaly. There's not many design, graphic design studios that really play in the way or have the same business as Pentagram. Um, so if you're approaching anyone there, it's, it's good to figure out who you're approaching. Pentagram is a beast and it's full of um, amazing designers um, and they are the partners. The partners look after their team, their finances, and they are responsible for making sure the work going out the door is to the right standard. So if you are approaching anyone there, just make sure you're ma matching up with the right team. Um, yeah, there's so many, it's like, just emailing Pentagram is just very broad because you're then going, okay, I want an opportunity here because I like it, great. But who are you, what are you, are you approaching the right person? We've got Yuri Suzuki who's a sound designer sort of engineer in that sense, Daniel Vile, product designer, same with John Marshall, but then you've also got people like John Rushworth um, who are doing a lot of really interesting luxury brands or Naresh who's doing lots of narrative uh, copywriting and communications in that sense. Um, so everyone is different there, that's how they are a partner, they bring something new to the table. Um, so it's just making sure that who you are speaking to or reaching out to is the right person. Um, and just being aware, I suppose the partners might not always have the right time, but within that team, the associates there, the designers, the seniors, they're going to have a bit more time. They also appreciate that, or the remember, I suppose, the position that those graduates are going to be in um, now is like, I remember far too well, it's like the hard times that it was. And sometimes it's just disheartening to get a no, but it's also harder to not hear anything you're left in limbo. 
ended up at home refreshing the email all the time, which is just a horrible thing. You, you just want a bit of an answer. So um, yeah, don't take it to heart, I would say. Sometimes the, it just doesn't align. It's like if a project's either just falling through or you've, they've just taken on a new hire or something like that, they, they won't be looking to get someone at that time. Doesn't matter how good your portfolio is. Um, try not to get disheartened. Um, remember that it's still a relationship and you can build on that and go back to them further down the line. And that's, that's such an important thing that you said there about doing your research. Like I interviewed um, Charlotte and Danny and spoke all about Young Creative Council. So any juniors that are watching this, you need to go on that website. There are people giving book crits and there's one recently with all the team from mother well not all the team obviously but a few people put their time aside and they're just helping with portfolio so there's loads of help out there for you and um so that's a good starting point and also researching what part of say like pentagram you want to work for because if you receive an email Stuart, and i'm sure someone says i love this project you've worked on that one i've done this and that and they're showing why they're applying to you specifically rather than just emailing info at pentagram saying hey can i have an internship unfortunately that's not really going to get picked up as much i believe and that's why there's the advice i keep giving juniors at the moment is just be very specific yeah who you're applying to and and also every industry leader has said we will hire for the right attitude, like going on to what you said, like positivity, um, what you can bring, people that are interested in stuff, interesting people. When you're hiring, you want that energy in your team, actually. So just like attitude and then knowing that skills are something that can be trained on the job. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm hearing time and time again. I mean, in our team, we share the same values, um, but we don't always share the same sort of social circles as it were so it just means that we've all come from different backgrounds which we completely revel in it's great to have that level of or have at least a bit more of level of diversity in the team um yes we all need to get on very well and communicate in a very good way especially in times like we are now but sharing those shared values it's like that is key it's like we yes we work for non-profits, charity, uh, we go on the marches, we try and have a bit more of a voice and um, have an opinion, I suppose, a bit more than some of the other teams. But um, that's that's who we are. It's like Naresh's team has got a side charity uh, or side, side awareness project, I suppose, called Do the Green Thing. His whole team is sort of either putting on exhibitions or doing articles. It's a bit more of his side hustle, but it's a thing that they value. It's, that's their team, that's who they are. So, um, yeah, everyone's different. Everyone's got their thing. So, but what we have as commonplace in the team is the shared value that we, um, that we have. And are you taking on interns at Pentagram at the moment? Um, not too sure because we've got a big project sort of slowly coming to an end, um, which we've had support from, um, from actually, we had quite a few interns, um, during a, I suppose last year and we actually kept them on during their third year as part-time freelancers um, so we really liked them and their work and um, we wanted to support them so they because they were they were working so much and they were working either at the British Museum while doing the studies and then trying to do an internship and we we're just like okay why don't you calm down a little bit we'll give you a bit more of a, a freelance so you're getting a bit more support so you don't have to do all the other stuff and you can also stick with your um, studies as well, rather than trying to juggle three responsibilities all at the same time. Um, 
so yeah, we're at the situation now. We're sort of seeing where this happens with this project. But um, in terms, we are usually taking on. We do take for a, usually quite a long time. Uh, it depends who we get in, where they're from, uh, what their availability is like as well um, in terms of that opportunity. But we're always keen to see and hear from new people. So, um, but yeah, we try and um, we try and arrange it slightly differently for our team. Um, we, we call it our interns, anyone who's still studying, um, anyone who is graduated, we call a graduate. Um, so they, they offer different things, I suppose. Um, a graduate, we would say, is probably more like a freelancer rather than an intern. So that's something that we personally, just as our team, offer. Um, that's what we're sort of trying to, trying to get rid of. We can... I completely condone in terms of working for free as an intern. I think it's not right. It's not morally right. Been in those situations before. And it's just, it doesn't help anyone. Um, so that's something that we're trying to really push out in terms of leading the way of acknowledging when people are still studying. Therefore, okay, you have a, a disbalance between your study work and something else, or you might've had a year out. I know LCC, we've had a few from LCC who have their sandwich year. So, two years study and then they do a year in industry and then go back to their third year. Um, so sometimes that's helpful for if people want a longer internship with us. Um, but and, and if anyone after they've graduated, um, we take them on as a, a graduate, as it were. Well, this is it. It's good to be able to obviously like pay anyone that's producing any form of work for you because otherwise they're doing their studies, they're working at Pentagram, they're having to get another job either like in a coffee shop or retail or just to and then they're just exhausted and yeah. that's not going to bring out the best kind of creativity or productivity from somebody yeah. it's also um i would say trying to step them back we do have people coming in and saying i'll work for free i'll work for free i don't mind i just want the opportunity it's like well okay that's that's great for you and it's a bit like a bait hook for us but i will still say no because just because you're in the right or that you have the privilege, I suppose, to be able to do that. Other people aren't in that same situation. So if I give it to you, then I'm turning down someone who physically can't do that because of financial issues or housing issues or something like that. So I'm, I'm therefore offering an opportunity to you because you're in a better situation. I don't find that fair. So I always turn them down or try to turn them down whenever someone tries to do that too. I do explain as well, but, um, but yeah, we still sometimes get that. And um, so how's Pentagram been affected at the moment by COVID? I think um, I haven't caught up with too many other people at other studios. I spoke to a few, but um, we are, we have, I mean, there's no denying everyone's been affected in the whole industry. Um, Pentagram in general, for our team, projects have either paused, potential clients have not happened, um, or things just slowed down basically. Um, but saying that, we've also pitched for new work as well. So it's this weird scenario that everyone's aware, but then also I think we're in the repercussions or the wake of what the clients decide to do. And I think now, hopefully, the clients are now entering this thing of, okay, we can't just sit back and wait for this thing to pass because it won't, so therefore we have to go ahead. So things are slowly picking up. Um, there's potentially new things happening now, which is good. Um, and we have been lucky because of this sort of beast of a project that we've been working with. Um, We've been continuing working with them. Things have been delayed a lot, um, but 
there is that continuation with them. Um, but it, yeah, it, it has it has affected everyone. And I think it's affected everyone in a very similar sort of way. All I can say is that we're extremely fortunate to probably not have the repercussions that maybe a few other studios have had. Um, so yeah, luckily we've, on our team, we've not had to furlough anyone or anything like that. Um, very fortunately that it was coming to a point where um, the freelancers were coming to the end of their contracts and we had someone even before um, lockdown or anything like that, they were going to part ways. We were going to replace or do a new hire, but um, we ended up just pausing on that anyway. So we haven't sort of turned anyone down yet and we haven't let anyone go yet in terms of our team. Um, so I'm feeling very lucky for that. And that's mainly through the support of all the partners. We're an independently owned studio. So they are the ones making the decisions of what's happening. And they've been really supportive in terms of helping the studio and everyone at the studio. Yeah, no, that's that's really good to hear. Because um, it's not all complete doom and gloom out there, actually. And it's nice to speak to people such as yourself, where I've heard loads of stories where companies haven't had to furlough all their staff, but some people are as well. Um, but how do you think consumers' mindsets are going to be changed? So obviously, the pause button's been pressed, and we've all had a chance to um, assess our lives and our situations, etc. Do you think that going forwards, you know, after we're out of lockdown, that's had a real effect on people? Um, I think it's going to have a knock-on effect to a lot of different things. Um, in, in terms of a consumer market, I don't know. Unfortunately, we're now in this consumer central society, which I'm not, I'm not a massive fan about. Um, it has repercussions in so many different ways, but this idea of um, absorbing information or having things on demand um, loses a lot of appreciation um, further down the line. Uh, things speeds, therefore, cuts out a lot of other things that I would rather have those other things than have the convenience of speed sometimes. Um, it has a trickle effect, which I'm not a fan of. Um, but I think the positive, potential positive that might come out of this is the awareness of how the human beings of this planet are destroying it. Um, so the idea of okay, let's get rid of all these lanes for the pollutants in terms of the cars and try and focus more on actual sustainable modes of transport. Um, I would love to turn every street here into a cycle path. It would be absolutely incredible. But um, unfortunately, I mean, even a global pandemic is, it feels like it's still a resistant thing, even though it's, we're in a climate emergency and we still need to do something about it. So um, yeah, it's, I don't want to be all doom and gloom about it, but, um, but yeah, I think there's still a need for change. I mean, my background is growing up in, in the Peak District, which is one of the oldest national parks. Um, I wasn't definitely not a farmer, but um, surrounded by lots of good farmers. And the idea of knowing where things come from hit me very early on in my life. So that is already that has always been prevalent in my life. So you pass it on to not just food or anything like that, but anything that any of these consumer things of, okay, well, where does everything come from? If you question that and you go further down the path, and it's like, well, okay, you're buying something for dirt cheap. How, are, how on earth do you think anyone is actually making, why is this good on any level? This, this, this material is 
cheap material it doesn't last it's it's not of an era that we have now transitioned from it's like ugh. it's just i don't know i just have a big bugbear with it it's like that's probably why we've got a second-hand dining table in it that's from the 60s 70s whereas things were built to last a bit better um it was the idea of craft and having longevity in some of the goods that you own therefore it's an heirloom or something you pass on from generation to generation rather than oh this is a a cheap high street fashion that will last so long i'll stick it in the wash it'll shrivel up and i'll threaten the bin it's like that's that for me is not sustainable it's not it's not helping it's just causing issues you know i'm so with you on that Stuart. i could literally sit here and speak to you about that for hours but i'm aware we're running out of time and we've got the q a section to get to but again i just want to say thank you so much for answering those questions so let's dive into the q a bit someone said 20 different agencies well having worked with so many agencies apart from pentagram which agencies did you enjoy working with the most and why uh, do i name names <laughs> um the one thing that I found with working in so many different studios is that you realize very quickly that there are so many variables for everything that impacts your day to day. Um, that can be the physical environment that you're working in, whether for me, I need, I need, I like daylight. It's just one thing that I have is I suffer from uh, the winter time coming around. It's just an absolute nightmare. Um, so it can be a physical thing or it can be your peers who are you working with the projects that you're working on um who are you working for do you respect them do you get on with them it's like do we not get on but what we produce is incredible and therefore i respect their decisions and it turns into this weird learning curve um but there is so many different variables so there is the benefits of larger studios that you can have all these different departments that you can rely on you're working with some of the best people for that specific thing um you can turn to them and learn from them and gain that experience and then utilize that further down um it's like adding adding badges on a, a scout sash or something you're just absorbing all of this which is incredible but then the benefits of a smaller studio is that you've got to do it all you've okay you've got to step up you've got to answer the phone you've got to reach out to the client you've got to go on press and oversee something that's going to be going out it's your responsibility so again your learning curve and your responsibility goes up and out through the roof but the studios that i get i've well enjoyed the most i would say are those potentially smaller i know pentagram's big but our team is small um and it's in that same sort of dynamic where it's um for me personally i like being able to have a voice for everyone on the team to have the confidence to voice their opinion, but then also making sure that we're all concentrated and filtering through to make sure that we are doing the best that it can be. Um, so that I've found is sometimes a hard, hard thing to always achieve in different studio environments, but um, there's definitely studios out there that I would run back to um, further down the line. I mean, I say further down the line, I go out and have drinks with them because they've turned into friends rather than just work colleagues. So yeah. Smaller agencies are really good places to learn actually and develop and grow because in the bigger agencies, it, how they normally work is you get 
all the positions are carved up and you'll get put on like one small part of one big huge account and then you'll just be churning that out but I found that people that have worked at more of the smaller boutique type of agencies seems to have really strong folios depending on obviously the agency themselves and who's leading uh, the creative but um so this is a question for both of us so what does it take to have a great portfolio is it better to showcase more strategic thinking and process or just bold visuals what do you think um well depends what you mean by bold visuals but i would say um i'm not too fussed about seeing the final thing comped up on a billboard or something like that that's that for me is okay, you're now entering this world where you're trying to replicate a studio. So I'm always just therefore going to do a comparison. And then all I am looking at is, well, is your mock-up good? Not the thought behind it. So I like to know behind the scenes. I like to know the process. I also want to know what they did. Um, I've seen many times portfolios before that I, I know the studio. I know the project. I know there's a big team, but then, okay, well, what was your position in it? It's, I know there was 10 people working on this project and that's before we've even met, I've just seen your portfolio. Um, so yeah, having the idea or the knowledge or the understanding and clarity of their position, what they contributed to is always really helpful. Um, going back to what we were saying before in terms of understanding people's values, what they care about. Um, it doesn't have to be shown for a side hustle. Um, but it can be brought in in words and just say, I'm also doing this, or I've just been to this, or I've seen that. It's just being aware that you are acknowledging what is out there. But um, but yeah, it's like just making sure that if there was strategy involved, seeing their take on that strategy is very helpful because you can understand the logic of how they got to that final solution. If you just see a bold visual at the end, I'm just judging it for an aesthetical purpose. I'm not judging you in terms of your process of getting there. And that's the majority of the work that we do is that process, that distilling, that understanding of what the client wants. And you're just giving me the last thing. So therefore, fine, I'll look at it, but it will just be pretty pictures in terms of, was it, was it the right decision? What was the client like? Why, why this? So, I've got loads of videos on this on YouTube, by the way, if anyone's interested, I've asked people specifically for loads of advice on portfolios, on CVs, how you put them together and, and things. And yeah, you're so right. It, you want to see who's the individual, what have they done? What's their process? Some, some clients are more creative than others. What ideas did you come up with? Um, and your involvement, because what happens a lot, say if you're a junior on one project and then you're flying some work around that's almost saying that you were responsible for the entire thing or you're not being specific about your involvement and that person might be like, hang on a minute, I was the creative lead on that. They were worked on this part, but they're almost um, portraying that they covered the whole thing. So like Stuart said, be specific about what you did, what you contributed on that project. Um, and also it's good to like go on the dots because you can tag yourself in projects that are already online as well and, and what you put towards that. So, um, so any advice for middleweight seniors, in particular someone who's recently gone freelance, uh, the best way to approach a studio such as Pentagram to work with them? What do you like to see in someone's experience and in their portfolio? Um, I think what we said before in terms of making sure that you're targeting, targeting, it sounds like you're honing in a missile, um, you're, you're directing your, your conversation to the right person, the right team. Um, are they, is the team that you're selecting the right team for you? It's like, do, are you 
interested in that world or that idea idea of the clients that they're working for does it reflect in in who you are your values and things like that um for midway seniors it's yeah it's it's a different it's, it's a different angle because you're i suppose you are showing much much more than a graduate in terms of your skill set so therefore okay technical abilities would we be bringing you in in terms of a freelance we'd be bringing you in specifically for one part of the project the benefit of being at pentagram is that we do branding branding is everything and anything um so if you had a very strong portfolio and you're doing editorial design great that's going to be relevant for us when we need someone with a strong editorial design background um when it's more general in terms of brand it's like done this i've done that done that yes maybe but it when would it be would we be expanding the team potentially would we also replacing someone because we might have lost someone but we haven't had a, a new full-time hire in um two three years on the creative team so those positions are quite um rare as it were um and even if we were going to take someone on that basis we probably we would most likely might most likely know them or at least trial them for a long period of time beforehand as well so it might be a case of okay we've got a freelancer that we brought in before we've got a good relationship we know that we can work together they get us we get them we know what they can bring and that would be more a case of a more of a permanent thing but um in case of yeah going back to the question of being the right freelancer if you're passionate about one thing great we'll save you for a project that we know that we need the support at that time um, but if it's a general thing, then again, great. If we need extra support because we have got too much going on, again, we can bring you in at a certain time. Uh, but it's just being very clear of who you are, what you've done, your process for that, how you have responded to the briefs. And that might have been not a client brief, but it might have been the studio brief as well, especially with freelancing around. You might have just been in the studio. I mean, my shortest thing was, um, I think it was four hours at IDO. I just got brought in. I could only do half a day and they wanted some help on the keynote. I mean, it's, it's me just helping out on the keynote and it was a bit of a freelance gig, but it's, it's literally my shortest one. The longest freelance would probably be moving brands that just rolled on and on and on. Um, mixing up with different projects, different opportunities that ended up being about 14 months or so, but initially it was a few weeks and then it extended and it extended and extended. So, um, I suppose, yeah, going back, where do you want to work what do you like and then if you haven't got there yet then what are the steps to get there are they doing stuff that is reflective of you therefore do you need to do more stuff that is going to be more along what they are doing so they can actually take you on as an asset as a freelance asset so that they can easily slot you in and out and i i always say like do your research as well because it's 50 percent about you um 50 about the agency and and like you said Stuart, is it going to be a particular skill set your team don't have but that person's like an expert in like um a friend of mine's a lettering artist and say like mother will reach out to her or other agencies on working like the triumph logo or the pins logo because she's brilliant at it and and so they'll bring her in specifically for that work mm. um so following on from that question how should a freelance portfolio differ from those like permanent ones would you say that they do differ i wouldn't say there's much difference between them um 
I've, I've never really noticed and gone, oh yeah, this is definitely a freelance portfolio. I've just seen this as a, more in a, a skill set level of, okay, this person has worked on this, maybe they led, led the team on that. And I've known freelancers to lead, lead teams as well for a specific project. So I've never really seen much of a, a differentiation between a freelance and a permanent portfolio. Yeah, I would agree with you there. It's pretty, um, it's better just to keep them the same. There's not really any difference. It's more about just showing your work and what you can do. Um, one last quick question, if you've got time. Yeah, we can yeah. try and go through. Right, one quick one. I keep seeing um, red, red dots, so yeah, maybe we can go through quickly. <laughs> uh, what brand would you like to rebrand and why? Oh, God. Real, I know, right? Sorry, like for your last question, it's not even an easy one. Yeah, I don't know because... Um, we started working with clients that I've never heard of before and they're some of the best. Um, so I always like getting surprised. I mean, most people will probably say a museum of some kind or something that's going to have longevity maybe, or be influential. It's like, mm, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a very societal based designer. I like having an impact for the people who need it. Um, I didn't know much about Battersea. I didn't know much about blood cancer UK before working on them um, but then diving into it and then having that appreciation for them um, that's where it sort of grows and you you feel a sense of purpose behind the work that you're doing so yeah cop out answer sorry uh, it's not really uh, I don't really have a dream one at the time being I mean there's dream things that you probably want to oh yeah I want to put something on the side of a I don't know whatever and then see it and just revel in that sort of weird egotistic sort of oh yeah that was mine and then feel i don't know that's happened before i've seen it i've gone oh i'm really embarrassed and then move on don't want to talk about it sort of thing <laughs> um right so i'll stop that there but thank you again so much for your time Stuart, for joining us and thank you for everyone that joined in um i hope you enjoyed this um industry leaders session this morning take care take care thank you very thank much you. cheers bye-bye <laughs>